0: Hi everybody, Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for another inspiring message from our teaching team. Why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of James. Most commonly, this this book is referred and uh, and believed to have been written by Jesus' younger half-brother. Um, I found it so interesting looking into this, and uh, and you know as you turn with me to James two, I, I really just pray that through reading this, through opening up this passage to to you this uh, this afternoon, that God would really challenge you, that that God would actually ultimately be honoured and glorified through us as we seek to apply His Word to our lives, and that through this, that other people would come to know, love, and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So James chapter two verse one. Says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? "'Listen, my beloved brothers. "'Has not God chosen those who are poor in this world "'to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, "'which he has promised to those who love him? "'But you have dishonoured the poor man. "'Are not the rich the ones who oppress you "'and the ones who drag you into court? "'Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honourable name "'by which you were called? "'If you really fulfil the law according to the scripture, "'you shall love your neighbour as yourself, "'you are doing well. "'But if you show partiality, You are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, as we start here, I want to just you know, tell you a bit about James. And, and you know, I want you to think for a moment, what would have it been like having Jesus as your older brother? Can you imagine for a minute how annoying it must have been? You know, how perfect he was. You know, never disobeyed his parents. Always had a great attitude. Never did anything wrong. Can you just imagine hearing you know, your mum and dad being like, James, can't you just be a little bit more like your older brother? You know, like I wonder, for, for, just for James, like how challenging his upbringing would have been having Jesus as his older brother saying that he was the, the son of God, he was the Messiah, he was the saviour. Now, it isn't too hard for us to see that, that as Jesus begins his, his ministry, that John's gospel actually says that Jesus' very own brothers didn't even believe in him. Even at the crucifixion, at the very point when Jesus lays down his life, his own brothers are not even present. It's not until after the resurrection, when Jesus appears to James, that all of a sudden James's mind is opened. (laughs) Maybe you were right. (laughs) And, And you know, James actually has a shift in his heart, a shift in his mind, and he ends up becoming a pillar in the Jerusalem church. And he writes this letter to that church that is scattered. Now, sometimes it can be hard because, you know, we we read James and, you know, we know that, you know, two-thirds of the New Testament we have written by Paul. Paul writes and says that you are saved by faith alone, nothing that you do, everything by Christ. And then we come to James and James is, is saying, do stuff and that you're justified by your works. And we go, that seems like a little bit of a contradiction and we don't really know what to do with it so quite often we just sort of go let's just not worry about James because it's a lot easier to believe what Paul says when you know you're saved completely by what Jesus said and you know completely by faith alone that you don't have to do anything and we hear you got to do something and we go yeah I like Paul and so here we uh you know you have this this difference but I wanna say that it's not one of contradiction. And this is how I wanna explain it to you, is that Paul speaks of justification by faith alone as a declaration of Christ's righteousness that is given to us. It's a declaration. When James is speaking about being justified by works, it's a demonstration of that righteousness. And so it's on the basis of having been saved by faith alone, this then is how you ought to live. And that's how we read the book of James, the letter to the church. Why is this important to us? So why is this important? It's because the early church was under so much persecution. The early church had so much pressure against them, especially in the time immediately after Christ had resurrected, that they were scattered abroad. They weren't able to even meet together, which is why James writes this to the scattered church. They had pressure from the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders that didn't like the way that they were going following Jesus. They were persecuted under Herod, under Roman occupation. They faced internal divisions, where some people would believe one thing and other people would believe something else. They started having this this hierarchical class division, where they would treat the, the more elite members, those that had wealth, they started treating them better than those that had nothing. And to James writes, to challenge this very thing, and he challenges them with this he says that they should live according to what they believe not only to talk it but to do it. And as believers today we're faced with many pressures in the same way. We think that we've you know journeyed a long way that we we're, we're facing new things but really it's the exact same things. Yeah. We have racial pressure, we have class pressure, um, discrimination. We have things that we you know we have things that divide us, things that segregate us. Whether it's political, racial, gender, even these last couple of years we've had medical segregation. You know, one of the things that, I, uh, that I've um, just looked into a little bit was some of these movements that have come out of this segregation. You know, Black Lives Matter, Me Too. I think what, if James was to address a group in the, uh, in the context of what he's writing to, he would say it's the Me First movement. The movement that looks after Me First. Looking out for our own interests, showing favoritism to those that can give something to us, that make us look better. Meanwhile, actually oppressing the poor and neglecting those that can't elevate their own social status, who can't do anything about their economic outlook. And James calls the believers to identify their attitudes and their actions of favoritism and to show love and mercy instead. So as such, I call, and I believe the Bible is is calling you to, to hear God's challenge to find and replace favoritism with God's love and mercy in your life. And so, you know, as we look towards, the, you know, finding renewal for the poor, for the marginalized, you know, it's, it's not just going to be by words. It's actually going to be by seeking out in our own heart, in our own mind, where is it that I perhaps show a sense of partiality? Where do I show a sense of favoritism? And can, I, can we remove that favoritism from ourselves, from our church? Can we refocus on God's heart for the poor and live in the reminder of God's judgment and His mercy? So I've titled this message, Stop Showing Favoritism. And and number one, in verse one to four in James uh, chapter two, we really have James focusing in on favoritism in the church. So he says, he starts off, my brothers. This is a term of endearment. He's actually close to these people. He's not just saying this is a far off message. It's actually something to, to say to people that he is close to. So he's like, gather close, hear this. He says, people who profess faith in Jesus Christ. you know, When you're holding the faith of Jesus Christ, you cannot show partiality. It is completely inconsistent with the faith that you say you believe. It has no place in our life. It completely contradicts the very profession you say you make. We say when we're, when we're saved, we say that we're justified at the foot of the cross. At what Jesus did on the cross, we are made right with God. But then, as James points out, we are sanctified. You know, we are being conformed into the very image of God. It says that in Romans 8, verse 29. So what is God like? Romans 2, 11 says, God shows no partiality, none. What does that mean? Galatians 3, 28, there is no Jew, no Greek, neither slave nor free, no male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. When we come to Christ, we actually come and stand shoulder to shoulder with everyone in the room. There is no elevation of, you know, senior pastor and here's the congregants. We are shoulder to shoulder. There is no male then female. It is shoulder to shoulder. We are all equal before God. You know, one feature of technology that I really enjoy, especially when I was in uni, is in Microsoft. You have this feature called Find and Replace. You know, when if you've got like Excel spreadsheets, and you're, you know, like for me, I have like a mail out that I've got to do, and and uh, you know, you've got to go and replace a bunch of things a bunch of times, and instead of like reading through every single word or item, whatever it is in the document, you simply just go Control F, find this, replace it with that. It is brilliant, and it's just like done. And uh, and you know, I think that likewise for us, we need to find favoritism in our lives. Find it that where it is, where if it exists within the church, we need to find it and we need to replace it with something else. We need to replace it with the love and mercy of God. So let's dig into what James says here. James gives this illustration. He says there's two men, they walk into your church, one wearing fine clothes and a gold ring, symbols of wealth and status, another wearing shabby clothes, likely symbolizing poverty and neediness. The one wearing fine clothes walks around with confidence, you know, his shoulders are back, his, his chest is out, he's outgoing, willing to just go and introduce himself to others because he's got a good life. And so he's invited to, to come and sit with his new made friends. The one wearing shabby clothes, perhaps you notice them before they even come in because you can already sort of smell the bit of the waft that comes with them. Maybe they're aware of their own condition. Perhaps they're a little bit nervous and so they're slightly withdrawn they sort of sink over to the corner, secluding themselves away from everyone else in case anyone notices them. And so you see that awkward tension and, you know, where are you drawn to? Like in, in, inwardly in your own heart, answer this for yourself. Because if you're drawn to the person that's, that's outgoing and, and wealthy and looks like they've all got it all together, James actually has something to say to you Today. Now, we don't necessarily think too much about sometimes in our own minds about, you know, around church even today, even at the end of the service. We have natural predispossessions towards certain people. It's natural. And so we might say to ourselves, it's just natural. You know, it's not intentional. There's no harm done. But James is actually pointing out to make you more aware. We naturally gravitate to those that we either like or that are like us. But the challenge here is really that we are making judgments based on outward appearances. We're making judgments based on external factors. And, and God rebukes this very thing to the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 16:7. He says, The Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his outward appearance. Don't look like everyone else looks. Don't look like man looks where they look and then they judge. But see what God sees: the heart. That's what's most important. Even look at Jesus himself. Jesus came down from heaven. The riches that anyone could ever imagine. The best place in the entire universe. Intimacy with God forever, eternal. And he comes down to the poorest level. Born in a stable to a poor family and then goes on identifying and spending time with the least and the worst. James here is addressing that, you know, when we make make decisions like this, we're actually making distinctions that are based on evil thoughts. The challenge for us then is to identify these thoughts, to identify these actions that perpetuate favoritism, whether intentional or not, and to decisively seek to apply ourselves to the Word of God in a way that we don't just listen to it, but that we do it. So, My my challenge to you is to remove the lens of favoritism that we often wear without even knowing, to help us see others differently, to open our heart up to God who might be bringing poor people across our path that we just don't even know, that God might actually be bringing people to you, and because of the, the lens you're not even aware that you're wearing, you turn the other way. We need to remove these barriers that divide us. You might say, well, you know, is it really wrong with having favourites? You know, what's wrong with treating different people differently? You know, it's everyone's individual. Well, to look further at that, we need to look at the very heart of God. And and, and here I want us to refocus ourselves. So firstly, we need to remove favouritism, and and secondly, we need to refocus on God's heart for the poor. Now, we saw above that God doesn't show favouritism, and there's plenty of other biblical passages that can point to that. We can see it both in the Old and New Testaments. You know, God's not a respecter of persons. He makes the rain fall on the the righteous and the unrighteous. God does not favour anyone. But then we see something really special here in verse 5. In verse 5 it says here, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? Now you might say, well, hey, you've just said God doesn't intentionally favour anyone. And then you're saying God chooses the poor. You know what's with that god has a special heart for the poor now it's not reverse favoritism it's not like god's just saying here's a people that i'm going to focus on but actually what it's saying here or or what it's actually not saying is actually that you know it's not saying all poor people are god's people and it's not saying that god is against every rich person it's not saying that what it is indicating here is that poor people often recognize that they don't have much to contribute Poor people don't have much at all, full stop. They have little in this world that they're most open to hearing a message about the world to come. Poor people are most open to hearing about hope because they don't experience much of it in their life now. The poor, and again, here it's not necessarily like you know, the, the illustration James has given here is, is purely in economic terms. A poor person in shabby clothing, rich man in, in wealthy clothing. But it's actually also applied in spiritual terms. You look at the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, verse 3. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poverty that that God's actually pointing us to here is a poverty where we recognize our need for Him. That we recognize that there is nothing that we have that we can give to God to bring us in a better situation with God. That we are so, you know, without anything, we come as nothing before God, and yet He accepts us. It says that you know, those who, who come as, as a poor person here in, uh, in James 2 verse 5, God's chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith. You know, what's the real riches that we're searching for in life? So often we get so tangled up with our riches and our possessions, our house, our car, our clothing, whatever it is, and Jesus says here through James, the real riches are rich in faith. It's your relationship with God. And you actually become an heir to the kingdom, So whether you're wealthy or poor, or somewhere in the middle, what's your attitude like? Is it focused on the things around you, the things you have or don't have, or is it actually on your spiritual condition, which is most important? Is it towards a self-sufficiency, an independence, that I can do what it takes, I can look after myself, I can meet my own needs, or those of my family, or do you look to God for your sense of provision, and also your status? You know, so much in life, our status is derived by what we do, or the, the accolades that we achieve, or the, the 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 areas that we get to go. Whether it's a, you know, we we've been these places, we've done these things, we've we've climbed the social ladder or the the, the work ladder, whatever the other word for work is called, occupation. Um, you know, we we have this sense of status. We've achieved something. You know, when we come to Christ, it's like it's like the great leveler. It's like you know that doesn't matter anymore. We're all shoulder to shoulder. It doesn't matter. Your status is now in Christ. So, looking at the heart of God and His call for us as believers to show the same kind of love that He shows to the poor, the oppressed, it helps to refocus our attention. It helps us to refocus our attitudes, and then it helps us to refocus our actions, toward those that God is calling us to. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer once had a quote where he, he said that, you know, sometimes we as, as Christians think that our lives and the tasks that we're doing are so important that we, you know, we actually miss out on opportunities that God is bringing along our way. Because God brings people along our path that we think, no, 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 that can't be for me. You know, I've got more important things to do. And we're actually missing out on opportunities that God is bringing our way because of our more importance. The third point that we, uh, that we go on to is the reminder that God is merciful. And we see this in verses 8 to 11. James illuminates the command that Jesus himself summarizes here, where Jesus says that, that all the prophets and all of the law can be summarized and point towards this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, when he responds to a, 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 a man that asks him, you know, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart soul and mind and the second is exactly like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets everything in the old testament was pointing towards Christ and his command to us now is to love our neighbor now the last time I was actually here, I shared a message on the Good Samaritans. I won't go into that right now. But, you know, that's the, the illustration. If you're aware of that story, Jesus paints a picture of who is your neighbor. And he actually chooses a people that there was segregation against. They hated each other. And James refers here as this law, as the royal law. And the royal law here, you know, you might go, well, what's the royal law? I've never heard that in Scripture before. The word royal heres I'm pretty sure it's the only time it's ever used in Scripture in this context. It means belonging to the king. This is how God lives. This is who God is, loving the other. And, and you know what the very opposite of this law is? Partiality, favoritism. The very opposite of what Jesus calls us to in loving your neighbor as yourself is choosing people that you're going to love better than others, dividing people up. And James states to us very plainly here. He says in verse nine, "If you show partiality, you are committing sin." You know, I, without before reading this, I didn't, I wouldn't have thought that having a, a, a favorite is sinful. But Jesus, James is actually saying here that we're convicted by God's law as transgressors. Now you might say, well, what's, why does it say that it's sin, but then it says that you're a transgressor? What's the difference between sin and transgression? Just a, a, a simple thing here that uh, you know, sin is missing the mark. Sin is like, a, it's actually an old archery term, where if you missed the mark, that was, you know, it was sin. Missing the mark is falling short of the glory of God. When we do that, we sin. Transgression is actually intentional disobedience. It's when you know that it's sin. You know, people out in the world, there are people in the world that sin, but they don't know that it's necessarily wrong. But when we intentionally disobey the word of God, when we know what's right and wrong and we choose what's wrong, that's where it's called a transgression. And so James here says that when you show partiality, you become a transgressor of the very law that Christ has called us to obey. Jesus calls us as believers to model a very different priority when we choose to follow him. First, he calls us to deny ourselves, and in the great commandment, to love God and neighbor before yourself. In this way, Jesus instructs us that we're to look very different from the world, and that's actually an attractive thing. Jesus says that to to his followers, he says, the Gentiles, their leaders, they lord it over them, but it's not to be that way with you. He says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Now, all too easy, we go down the line of indifference. And we either look away or just, you know, maybe it's just that we we never travel to areas like the Elizabeth Shopping Centre on a Thursday night. Because we know what we're going to see when we go there. And we'd rather just not see it. So we just sort of plead ignorance. Or maybe it's as someone else once said, Lord, here I am. Please send my sister. James draws this illustration that if you keep every single part of the law, but you're guilty in just one part of it, you're guilty of all of it. It's like hitting a mirror with a hammer in just one place, it's going to break the whole mirror. This gospel message that we believe, following Christ, it's an all or nothing thing. It's not a pick and choose what you like. We shouldn't minimize favoritism, partiality, because it doesn't seem as bad as, say, murder or adultery. We need to acknowledge that following Jesus is a complete surrender of our whole body, heart, and mind. Finally, James draws this conclusion, that we're to speak and act as one who's going to be judged under the law of liberty. Ultimately, the Bible is clear Judgment is coming, and we will be judged for how we've lived. This isn't a condemnation for those of us who believe, but rather it's liberating because of God's mercy. So we should be thankful for the mercy of God, but also aware of His call for us to be merciful, for us to demonstrate to the poor and the needy, for us to reach out to the marginalized. Those who need and are hungry to hear and respond to a message of hope, to the message of the gospel. We need to have, like Jesus' very own brother James, a heart transformation. We need to have a mind renewal so that we'll see people differently and love people more like Jesus for us to see a renewal to the poor and the marginalized it begins in here before it starts out there romans 12:2 paul writes do not be conformed to the ways of this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you might discern what the will of god is and it's good it's pleasing and it's perfect This is the way that we begin to change the way we look at others. This is the way that we begin to live according to the kingdom way of Jesus. We need to have a find and replace in our own lives. Where we remove the favoritism. Where we refocus on God's heart. And we remind ourselves constantly of the mercy that God has shown us and he calls us to show those around us. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for the gift of grace that you've given us. The very fact that you've called us into your family. Lord, I pray that you would now challenge us to live in such a way that we demonstrate through our attitudes, through our actions, that we belong to that family. And that you call us to share that hope with the dying world around us. In your name I pray, amen. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you are able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, EncounterAdelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review, or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.